Hello, and welcome to Sherlock, from Adler to Amberley. An attempt to analyse all 56 of the Sherlock Holmes short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In order. Starting with the first story, A Scandal in Bohemia, featuring the celebrated adventuress Irene Adler, and finishing with the final story of the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, The Retired Cullerman, where Holmes and Watson accept the case from Mr Josiah Amberley. Hence, from Adler to Amberley. My name is Carl Kopak, and I'll be presenting this irregular series along with a special guest as we attempt to assess the value of each tale of the canon. My guest to discuss a case of identity is John Lee Rees. John first encountered Sherlock Holmes at a young age when he watched the Disney animated film Basil the Great, the Great Mouse Detective, that classic. Uh, by age eight, he had read all of the novels and the short stories and had fell in love with both the great detective and all things Victorian. That love of Victoriana has extended into a lifelong interest in Victorian crime, particularly surrounding Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. When not wishing it was always 1895, he used his own Sherlockian powers of deductive reasoning in his work as a claims handler for one of the UK's biggest insurance companies. By night, he is an amateur actor, a scout leader, and a Freemason. So, a recap of A Case of Identity. Holmes and Watson are in the drawing room at 221B Baker Street discussing whether real-life events are far more interesting than fictitious events. They discuss this and Watson tells a story he's read from the papers about a separation and he says he can already tell what the characteristics, the drunk, the push, the, I think he says the fussy sister or something. Uh, and what and Holmes tells him quite gleefully that actually that was a case he was looking into and uh, it wasn't commonplace at all because it ended with every meal of the man who was a teetotaler throwing his false teeth at his wife. They're talking about this um in a very, very casual way, um, when Watson asks if he's got any cases on, he says some t- 10 or 12, but suddenly there is a ring on the doorbell. Miss Mary Sutherland enters, and Holmes is far more interested in uh, her appearance and what he can deduce from her than he is about her story, which he says is quite, again, is quite commonplace. He can tell straight away that she's a typist and she comes from uh, the south of England because of the clay on her boots, because he likes showing off, he's like that. So she tells him, Mary Southern tells him that um, she has a uh, 100 a year, 100 pounds a year, which is an awful lot of money um, uh, from typing. She types at tuppence a sheet and that her domestic situation is that her mother um, married very quickly to a man not much older than Mary, only five years older than Mary, when her father died. She is controlled by Mr. Winderbank, her, her father, although she doesn't like calling him his father. And um, he doesn't like her going out much, but she insists on going to the gas fitters ball. Her, her, um, her dad was a plumber uh, on the Tottenham Court Road. She goes out and to the gas fitters ball and is approached by a man called Mr. Hosmer Angel. Hosmer Angel um, has uh, thick glasses and a very, very weak voice. He had the quimsy as a, as a child and um, it's left him... Um, with a very weak voice. He pays court to her, shall we say, and when she goes home, she's all very happy. Mr. Windbank is, of course, furious because he wants control over her life. And 
Mr. Windebank is then also called away to France, um, so she gets to see Mr. Hosmer Angel a lot. And, of course, they get engaged after about ten minutes, seemingly. So they're all ready to go to the church to get married. Um, it's a very, very rushed affair. He comes up in a cab... And they open the door for him, and he's disappeared. And she doesn't know why, and he's completely disappeared. Before this happened, Hosmer Angel uh, made her swear on the Bible that she must be true to him forever. Holmes, as this is one of the cases where Holmes solves it instantly, and there is actually no crime. He gets the typewritten letters from Hosmer Angel from her, and he sends a typewritten note to Mr. Winderbank to ask him to come to 221B Baker Street. And when he gets there, he shows Winderbank the fact that the letter which you had replied has the same typewritten errors, uh, you know, from the little fades on letters and things like that, from Hosmer Angels. He is Hosmer Angel, and he did it. So basically, he could keep her, um, her money. The victim in this is Mary Sutherland, um, because Holmes doesn't have the heart to tell her that she's been duped by her own stepfather. And uh, although he can't take Winderbank to court or do anything like that because he's not, he's not actionable, he says he threatens to beat him with a riding crop. And he tells Watson, quite gleefully almost, that he's no, that he suspects that Winderbank will one day end on the gallows. John, on my agenda, which I've started for, for a case of identity, you'd be glad to know that it, it opens with the words, Who are you, John? which I think is a very broad question to be asked uh, at this level <laughs> of a podcast. And um, what I will say to the listener is John and I met for the first time in October on actually on the, th- the same day when I met Trevor from the last podcast uh, for the first time as well at the East End Conference uh, where we discussed this, um, uh, this podcast. Um, one question I will ask, obviously I've said Freemason and actor and, and I won't go anywhere near the insurance business. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's a question me and my mates often disagree with, and it's this: can can anyone act? Can anyone act? Yeah, because I think yeah. I can. I I think I can. But my mate always says, you know that scene in The Godfather with Brando and, and Pacino in the garden, where it's like the, the transference of power, where, where Vito is really upset because uh, he wanted Michael to be senator and you know be a bigwig legally. Uh, it's one of the most beautifully filmed scenes ever made, and it was written on the hoof, pretty much. Hmm. Um, he always says to me, you think that's easy. <laughs> so well, can anyone act? I think that there's acting and there's acting, you know. There's, yeah, um, that, that's my point. There's different levels of it. Everyone, you know, can act to some extent, you know, because we're never 100% honest all the time. So, you know, telling a little white lie to someone like, oh, I really like your hat or whatever, you know, that that is acting, you know. Yeah. So it's it's just practically um doing that and myself as as an amateur actor you know i'm uh i i'm, I'm not brilliant at everything you know there's certain things i do better i'm i'm i'm, I'm uh i specialize in playing drunks i think you know, i'm good at a drunk <laughs> and uh I'm, I'm i'm i my typical playing age is about twice to three times my actual age i specialize Very in old men uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I specialise in old men um, and um, also like um, psychopaths and stuff like that. So it's oh good. <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah, I, I'm reminded of um, the comedian Richard Herring, who says every time he goes for a role, it's always of CD man. Mm, which yeah. is uh, which, that would be slightly concerned. Um, I say this because I've just seen um, the Irishman, the De Niro Pacino mm. film, and there's a scene in that um, where he's doing he's in a sit down with Stephen Graham's character. Um, with Pacino um, and, and Joe Pesci. And um, De Niro says about three sentences in about a five-minute scene, 
and I can't take my eyes off him. Mm. I mean, that's that's proper acting. I yeah, think. I mean, yeah. he's trying not to draw focus, but that's Robert De Niro sitting there just being yeah. effortless mm. and just being fantastic. Not that I'm comparing you to Robert De Niro. But <laughs> this podcast. I, yeah, I will take that. I, I am Robert De Niro. I'm the Welsh Robert De Niro. <laughs> I might put that on Twitter actually. That I'm speaking to uh, to Robert De Niro. Um, before we start, <laughs> I, I will tell you a, a brief bit of news actually for the, for the listeners because um, I've asked this week about people what guests people would like. Um, I do have a coup coming up for the final problem in the empty house, Ooh. which I'm incredibly happy with. But just to let you know that I have approached Mark Gatiss, Gat, Mark Gator, sorry, and Stephen Moffat, the writers of the BBC Sherlock stories, um, and they're both busy. Oh, well. But they're going to listen, so I'm going to oh, make sure that, I, that I'm not critical of the BBC Sherlock series, which we might have been in the first episode a little bit. Oh, the, but we love oh, it. Con- constructive criticism, you yeah. know, is, is fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'd never dream of slagging off the BBC series. There's there's bits I love, there's bits I don't like so much. But overall, it's a brilliant series. I, I always know when it's on. You know, mm. you know, when a new series starts, I know that tonight I've got to watch that. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, well, we'll get on with, with the case of identity then. And um, do we have to? And, well, <laughs> this is my point. You and I have discussed this for weeks. And, um, so in the first podcast, Neil got a scandal in Bohemia, the start of the canon, one of the greatest stories ever written. Last time Trevor got what I think is one of the greatest short stories ever written in the Red-Headed League. Someone, John, someone <laughs> had to do a case of identity. And we've read it, we both read it since. Um, so we both read it ages ago. Did you like it this time? So, um, it's not a bad story. Um, it's just, it's not outstanding. It's not terrible. It's just there. Um you know, it's, it's 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 okay. There's some really good bits, and there's some bits that, um, well, I, I think is is Holmesian tropes in stories and plot points that uh, Conan Doyle goes on to develop in later stories. Um, but yeah, it, it's not a bad story. It, it's an enjoyable way to spend about uh, you know fifteen twenty minutes to watch uh, to read. Sorry, I, I think the biggest thing for me is there's no action. Mm. Um, there's no crime again so two of the first three stories no crime is involved um, which goes back to Neil's point in the first podcast about uh, Conan Doyle setting the rules of saying like you know there isn't going to be a murder and, and I, to which I said there isn't even a crime mm. and there isn't a crime in this one um, it's just morally reprehensible what happens to Mary Sutherland in it um, and well uh, arguably in this one again compared uh like the first one the only potential crime is committed by holmes because he yes. does try and assault. you know assault yeah and in the first one burglary you know it, it, it's holmes he's, he's a bad one yeah yeah maybe he's it's like batman who knows when hmm. the whole place thinks he's the bad one rather than the good one yeah um i, th- I think that's really interesting again that he, he just Conan Doyle, it, it just seems obsessed on saying, you're, you're, I'm not going to give you this. Mm. I'm not going to give you, and this person died. Mm. It, it reminds me in some ways of the, the, the Channel 4 programme Peep Show, where the later series, every single episode is about Mark and Jeremy meeting great women and failing with them. Mm. Uh, and that just seems to be, oh, but by the way, if Sam and Jesse want to come on the podcast, I love Peep Show. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's... It, 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 He's deliberately not saying, okay, and then this person was murdered. Like, you know, the, the whole thing about Midsummer Nights, Midsummer Murders, whatever it's called, where mm. you just move. Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street. Move from Elm Street. Yeah. That seems to be the best thing to do. Yeah. And, and, and he's not he's not doing that. And if Miss Marple wants to stay with you, just say no. Or Jessica <laughs> Fletcher as well. You know? um, 
But yeah, I, I, I think it's a deliberate thing by uh, Doyle to avoid um, it becoming a, a penny dreadful. I think he's he's deliberately doing this to say these are puzzles um, or problems. Uh, they're not salacious crimes because I don't think he wanted it to be a penny dreadful. He didn't want it to be CD. No. Which which you could have done. He mentions in um, in one of the stories that um, I can't remember which one it was. But he said if there if there'd been a woman in the house, I would have suspected some vulgar intrigue. Mm. He says in one of the stories, which was. Uh, which made sense certainly because you know I'm, I'm basically just not to give you not, I'm not really going to give you the salacious stuff. That's not for me really. And, and you're right when he says um, when, when you say uh, he, he's it's all about the puzzles because Watson says something very illuminating in this. He says how many have you got any cases on at the moment? And he says something like some ten or twelve to give the impression yeah. that he's, he's not at this point in his career. Holmes isn't picking stuff. He makes a big deal of it later. He says he only does things that he only looks after. Cases which are unusual or or, or outre or outre even, um, but uh, but in this one he's basically working for the money. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's um there's there's a Holmesian quote that makes me think of, um, which um, I don't know if it's actually one from the short stories, the novels. It might be, or it might be one that's been invented in films. Um, but it's the uh, I never uh, alter my fees unless I waive them completely or something. Um, along those lines, so I don't know if it's actually from one of the canon or if it it's is, just something. It know, is, yeah. And it, it oh is. man, I got to, I'm gonna have to think about that out loud now while I'm asking yeah. you questions. I've, uh, I've just got to say, I've, I've just got the, a memory of Rupert Everett saying it. Um, in, it's uh, the final one. It's Retai Cullerman. Retai Because you say our is a miser, isn't he? Ah, okay. Yeah, and he, and he says, "Oh, I'm looking after more, looking after richer people than I, I suspect when when Holmes isn't there." Yeah, and he says, "Yeah, only when I remit them all together." So, and um, it's it, it starts this story then with it's going to be a difficult one to talk about because not a great deal happens in this. Story. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Holmes and Watson discusses. I don't know if this is deliberate. They discuss. They have a discussion on. Well, Holmes says that everyday life is more mad, shall we say, and unusual and eccentric than the written mm. word. To which Watson yeah. says, "Yeah, but if you take up this paper." Um, there's been some sort of divorce which has gone through the courts, and and he says something like, "I already know the story. You know the the, the drink, the, the sister, the push, yeah, yeah. etc." And is is that Conan? Do you think that's Conan Doyle saying, "Not everything's going to be big"? <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 I think it is. I, I, I do. I, I know this isn't your point at all, but I, I, I think that's one of the best parts of the story when Holmes just completely contradicts him on everything. Um, yeah. It's kind of thing about us making assumptions before you have data and stuff and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah it's uh, yeah. Colin Doyle's he's trying to make a point here, isn't he, about how um, it isn't big? And I think this it's when he, he's name drops quite a bit because he name drops. Um, oh, he loves it. Yeah, he well he, he name drops um, the um, scandal in Bohemia. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's also an unseen um, case that he uh, name drops as well um, at the start as well. So, yeah, yes, he's he saying, he's saying, I'm not, you know, Holmes isn't, pick, you know, he's um, starved for cases. We're not just doing this because he hasn't got anything else to do. It's because yeah. it's interesting. I think he's, he's deliberately making a point there. Um, like, oh, he's done this for the King of Bohemia and the whatever Switzerland or whatever the other thing was. And uh, yeah, he's deliberately making a point of Holmes has got work, but he likes little problems. Yeah. I, I think at the, at the um, 
it's unusual that he goes back to the Scandal and Bohemia because I think he does it again in the Red Head League. But yes. I think I, I think that's because it's the it's because it's a serial, and you, he's basically saying, "Remember me from this last week when I did this." Yeah, I think that's just the way of keeping because obviously because Holmes wasn't that famous at this point. I know the two novels have come out. Yeah, but I think that's just a general. Do you remember me? I do this. Yeah, Pre- previously on Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, <laughs> high. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think actually, I think Scandal and Bohemia is name checked um, quite a few times as well yeah. in in other ones. Um, and the only thing I think is uh, mentioned more is probably um, Sign of Four and um, uh, Study in Scarlet. Um, yes. He mentions those throughout the short stories as well. Yeah, he, he definitely mentions um, uh, the Sholto case. Mm. He definitely mentions that in, in one of the first three. Because um, mm. c- the way I'm doing this, I, I'm uh, I'm reading them um, just before the show. Because obviously I've read them all hundreds of times, but I'm, I'm sort of reacquainting myself. Because I got to the point where I could basically quote whole sections of it. thought, I'm going <laughs> to stop enjoying them if I can do that. So... <laughs> So yeah. let's not do that. Um, so it, it's he does have to go back and keep keep you know almost like going through his credentials again, which is a writer's trick. You know that happens all the time. It's like saying again, you know, when you watch a TV documentary and after the ad break it says in 1963 this happened. Yeah, no, you, I saw it ten minutes ago. But, yeah, you know, people might have just come in. So I think that's why he's doing that. Um, yeah, I, th- I think quite often with TV documentaries they spend about half the time either saying what's happening after the ads or what's. Uh... Yeah. but that, that, that's a separate point nothing to do with this at all <laughs> no but, but i think i think that it's important to remember that is a serial in that for yeah that's why you might think you know yeah where we get him you helped the king of bohemia mm. and uh, and you didn't win that one so i don't know what you're going about that for yeah <laughs> but um, that, that's me being slightly overcritical <laughs> who did after all invent this whole thing that we're talking about <laughs> 30 years later or something um so they meet mary sutherland um, Holmes, of course, has absolutely no interest in a human being whatsoever. But he's a fan. At, at this point, yeah, yeah. But he's but he's more interested in her glove, mm. and and obviously he deduces where she's from. So once again, we get the Conan Doyle party trick, um, and and you know, poor old Watson's slightly confused about what's going. How did he know that? <laughs> that sort of thing, yeah. which um, which is going to become a thing. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think Watson comes out of this story particularly well. No, no. Because he, he's not the brightest. Even even though I knew what happened, I, when I read it again, I thought, it's it's obvious who Hosmer Angel is. Um, yeah. I, I can't believe Watson hasn't spotted this. Cause it's... <laughs> so you're saying your father wasn't in the country again. All right, okay. <laughs> um, but you know, but this is pretty heady stuff for 1890. So you know, <laughs> so, yeah. Again, I'm overly criticising him. But yeah. I think it, it, this is the first one I think where Watson stops being action Watson for a bit and just becomes confused Watson. Yeah, yeah. He, he becomes Nigel Bruce. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he, he stops being um, Michael Williams, who's my favourite Watson, uh, and, and becomes the well, whatever, whatever do you mean, old boy? That, yeah. that type of Watson. Um, which is quite strange. And of course, um, as I mentioned before, Watson is far more civil to the female characters uh, than Holmes is. Yes. Well, well, Watson's a bit of a ladies' man, isn't he? He's. Uh... It's, 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 I'm guessing it's the moustache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's definitely twiddled his moustache in the, in the, uh, the nightclubs of Queen Anne Street mm. before mm. today. Um, and I think that's a. Um, 
So, so when Mary Sutherland comes in, I think it's interesting that Watson, who isn't stupid, is quite stupid in this one. Yeah. He's Watson is literally just a point. Uh, he's he's someone for Holmes to speak out loud to in this one because yeah. there's no accent, um, you know. Uh, so he's just someone as a sounding board for Holmes and to ask a stupid question on occasion. Yeah, I, I think that's that's basically it. And, and once again, Sherlock pretty much solves it immediately, like he did with Red Headed League. Mm. So we're getting that sort of. Um, that sort of rule again, which we, we discussed uh, with Trevor in um, in the Red Headed League, where he solved it immediately, and the rest of the story is just basically admin. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. He he wants to confirm the theory, and uh, in Red Ed- Red Headed League, he does actually have to leave his room to confirm the yeah. theory. But in this one, he just sends a couple of letters, and uh, and, and, <laughs> and the solution just comes to him. Um, which um, it's it's um, it, it reminds me because I I, I I have been um listening um to um the Stephen Fry narrated audiobooks right um of of the short stories and it, it, that's what Mike Croft does basically he solves it in the room and then he sends Sherlock off to actually confirm it uh, yeah. in, in, the, in the the Greek interpreter i believe it is yeah 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 that, that that's pretty much Mike Croft's <laughs> job but uh, but Sherlock's not averse to doing that himself yeah Either, yeah yeah to solve it with with um, with two letters in a telegram or wherever it is <laughs> Um, I think that's a really important thing. That's um, I think that emphasises just that, that. I love the fact that Holmes is lazy. I really like that. Mm. As in, you know, because you, you'd assume like some sort of hero would be more involved with, you know, like the Battle Rathbone Holmes running around, guns in the pocket, cars, that sort of thing. But you know, he... gonna, they're going to bring down the government. Well, I'll just send this telegram and it's all done. He he is like that at times though. Um, yeah. I think yeah, I think he just responds to the situation. He's you know, he's 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 thinking, you know, if he had to run about for this, I'm sure he would, but he's just thinking, Oh, I don't have to move for this one, I'm just gonna stay in my <laughs> stay on my sofa and smoke my pipe for a bit and do some chemistry. It's not a bad life, is it? When you, no. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah. It's, it's it's just hard to get excited about it. And mm. I think I think that's the, the the only problem with the story. I, I sense um uh, a text in the Atkins is the uh, the first guest on, on this podcast, hmm. and said, um, "Do you have any thoughts on the case of identity? Because it seems to me that the chief culprit is a typewriter, and you can't really you can't really get excited about. Uh, yeah, they solved it with a typewriter. And Neil came up with a very good point to it actually, which is about Mary Sutherland, who I need to come back to. Yeah, um, I, I I would like to I'd like to bring up the typewriter. Um, no so um, the way he um, you know." solves it with the typewriter by comparing the, the 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 pattern of the keys or whatever of the type that's forensics this yeah. is um this is you know sherlock holmes doing forensics and um in the short stories it's the first example of him using what today would be considered you know it, he it's csi baker street yeah um, exactly. it's the first example in the short stories of it i can't remember if the novels um ha- had it already but yeah it's him going csi baker street and it is true it's accurate whether doyle knew that at the time is uh, you know don't know um but yeah every typewriter is different the, the way it types after it's been you know used a few times yeah I, I, we're coming from an age um around this time is uh, if unless you i don't know if the listener knows this but we're hosted by ripper cash which means that john and i spend a lot of time thinking about jack the ripper murders <laughs> which is, and we've, we've obviously in 1888 we've just been through the bloodhound incident 
Um, the fact that there was no CSI at any of the sites, you know, just two years before this before this story was published. Um, so again, this is pretty groundbreaking stuff going on. That you know, he he solved this whole thing by a, you know a, a looking glass. I imagine it would be a microscope of some sort and looking at the yeah. fading of the letters on a piece of paper. I think he does something similar in the Rygate Squires, the Rygate Puzzle, it's often called as well, where he um, he examines the letter and realizes it's written by two different people, and therefore mm. two different mm. people are, in, are involved with the crime, which actually yeah. is a crime. This one, um, but I, I think um, uh, just to go back to what because uh, I'm going to talk about the typewriter a bit later on, but I think what Neil made a really good point about in the first story, in a scandal of Bohemia, the big deal is is not only does the the great detective lose, but he loses to a woman. And yeah. therefore, he sets up this whole rule of there's no rules. Mm. So not every woman in this is there to be married or to be fancied by Watson or anything like that. There's no vulgar intrigue again. I actually call this podcast vulgar intrigue. Um, and yet on this one... Benefits of hindsight. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But in this one, he, he, he sort of goes against himself. Because so Mary can't know what's happened. They don't tell her. Holmes throws out hints of, I, am, I, I think you should forget Hosmer Angel. And um, but she's fully and Watson says at the end she's fully committed to you no know, she's she's going to wait for Hosmer even though there is no Hosmer mm. so she does play the slightly dumb girl which he doesn't do in the first story yeah um I, it it probably just shows that there's uh, there's there's different people out there you know it's 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 all the variety um of of the world um. The fact that we've gone from two extremes, you know, we've gone from uh, Irene Adler, who is, you know, uh, cunning, intelligent, outsmart Holmes, to Mary Sutherland, who is the complete opposite. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it just seems to be the, the two most, the first two prominent women in the short stories are such polar opposites. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, it's almost uh, a shame that, uh, you know, we, we didn't have... Uh, Watson meeting his wife in between, you know, in the short stories, just yeah. to, you know, have a bit of a balance. Yeah, he's, and he's actually for all the he's only in, Holmes is only interested in her gloves and what have you. Mm. He is genuinely sympathetic towards her. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think that might be a little. Um, 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 I think that's a scandal in Bohemia bleeding into it. So you know, he's a bit more suspicious of his own motives almost. Yeah, well, yeah. he might have gone. Oh, she's just been stupid and carried on because he's been beaten by Adler. Yeah, and he might be thinking, oh, do you know what? She's been, she's been. But he actually says she's been cruelly used. Hmm. And uh, I, I think it, it goes against the thing that he is this, you know, soulless automaton. Automaton. He's not. Um, he he does sympathise with her. The only reason, really, he doesn't tell her is because he knows she's not going to believe it. Yeah. Um. And um. There is genuine anger, I think, and and outrage at at the stepfather. Um. You know, I, th- I think you know he he took great pleasure in chasing him out of that room. I don't think he was ever actually going to hit him, but uh, with with the riding crop. But I think he enjoyed, you know, making him brick himself a bit. Well, I can't think of any other story where he tr- he threatens to hit somebody. I mean, he's sh- you know, obviously there's the there's the um. Uh, the speckled band. He's, he's involved in the odd murder, mm, mm. Um, but I think this is the first time he's actually so angry with someone that he threatens to beat them up. Yeah, because he's almost had a grudging either respect or understanding for his opponents until now. 
um, as far as you know, as far as I can remember, you know, Irene Adler, um, v- Vincent Spaulding, he's got a kind of grudging respect for them, hasn't he? Yeah. But here, there's nothing. And the only other example I can think of him despising an adversary so much is. Um, uh, oh, uh, the same uh, man. I've I've got one. Uh, the master blackmailer, uh, yeah, Charles Elvis Augustus Hilton. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the snake. Yeah. Yeah, the vilest yeah. man in London. Yeah, the, I, yeah. Th- I think that then. Um, I think I think maybe Baron, what's his name, the in illustrious client Gruner, is that his name? Um, yeah, I, I, I think again, you're right. it's, it's people who take advantage of the vulnerable yeah. um, are the ones that he despises. Yeah. Whereas if you're going to steal thousands of Napoleons from the from the bank. He doesn't mind that. <laughs> that's fine. And he even says Clay's a murderer. Oh, that's fine. I get on that. I've got... He's not too bad. Yeah. But, there's, uh, a, there's a grudging respect for yeah. the abilities there. But I think with this, because he's duped, you know, someone who, you know, should marry several and trusts um, <clears throat> uh, her stepfather, um, you know, it, it is, um, you know, he there, there, it brings out that, that anger in him almost. Well, the whole point of this, of course, is the inheritance. Mm. Um, that That's the whole motive behind this. And again, because you, you and I come from the poorer end of Victorian history mm. in terms of the people we're talking about. So um, when we talk about the Ripper murders, we talk about the most destitute women ever um, who literally were, were homeless and had to carry around their entire belongings around the streets of Whitechapel and get 4D to, for a DOS that night. Um, whereas Mary Sutherland is... Um, earns a hundred pounds a year. Yeah, um, from from, from the inheritance plus whatever she makes typewriting. She can, yeah, so a hundred pounds a year. For, uh, she gets the the interest from that pay quarterly plus tuppence a sheet. I think she says on um, yeah. on that that uh, and home says something like you can get by on about forty or sixty. I've forgotten which one because he says it again in. The Copper Beaches. I think it's sixty. I think it's sixty. It's, I think it is sixty because I think. I think in the Copper Beaches, he, uh, yeah. the, gov- the governess one, I think he says, you know, you've been paid £100, but I know you can get by on 40 Yeah, and so, uh, he, he doesn't say, uh, with Mary Sutherland, he doesn't really say get by. It's it's kind of like living comfortably. Yeah. Um, just getting by. It's living comfortably and, you know, living, you know, enjoying a bit. And, and she's well to do. And also, she's wearing a hat in the Duchess of Devonshire style. <laughs> so there's a, bit, there's a bit of cash going on. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do just love the way she's described. And um, what, what is the uh, is sleeves made out of as well? Um... Oh God, yeah. Uh... Sorry, it's been a few days since I've read it. Yeah, yeah I, but... I, I, I read it earlier. I'm just trying to think of. Um, um... So what's to say she's well? She looks well to do in a vulgar sort of way. Purple plush. Um... That's it. Yeah, um, fairly well to do in a vulgar, comfortable, easygoing way. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> What a nice no, thanks, John Watson. I should say. Um, <laughs> what, 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 a, what, a, what a really nice man you are to, to basically it, judge you completely on that. Uh, she's yeah, slightly overdressed. It's not the best descript- description uh, he has of her because um, this is. Um, you know, she, 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 from the sound of it, she's quite a you know she's she's a bit of a, a larger lady um, yeah. from, from the sound of it, and um, I'm just trying to find the quote now. Um, Oh, here we are. Um, as he spoke, there was a tap at the door, and the boy in buttons entered to announce Miss Mary Sutherland, while the lady herself loomed behind his small black figure like a full-sailed merchantman behind the <laughs> boat. 
Yeah, you, Arthur, you know that misogyny we were talking about in Stanley <laughs> It's it's fully there, yeah. 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 And then, you know, she's um she's quite vacuous, she's half blind. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, she she doesn't cut a good image, does she really? No, and, and, and she's been easily duped by the fact despite um not recognising the fact that her father her stepfather is never in the same room. And um, there's, there's one thing that comes out of this story, though, and just, just to move on a, a little bit. Um, I think that Hosmer Angel might be my favourite name in the entire canon. I was just, it is a great name, Hosmer Angel. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah it, it is a brilliant name. I've, I've never heard Hosmer used before or since. It's a great name for a cat. Yeah. yeah I, I think <laughs> if I had a cat, I would call it. It'd have to be the full name, not just Hosmer, though. Yeah, Hosmer Angel. Has anyone seen Hosmer Angel about the place? Which would be quite <laughs> ironic in some ways. For that, uh, so I, th- I think I, I really like the fact. Um, obviously, that Windybank is a, is a revolting human being, obviously, but um, yeah. I like the fact that he just picked that name yeah. out of yeah. nowhere. Yeah, not um, John Smith or yeah, he might just Mister Character, you know that that sort of thing. And um, and obviously, Angel is. Um, he says he had the Quincy, so his, his voice is, sh- is, is quite shallow, um, which reminded me of John Halliday Christie for some reason. Uh, and uh, he's half blind as well. And he's, he's got to wear dark glasses. Yeah, all and, the time. And he's, I know, I was going to say, well, while I think, you know, obviously the stepfather is a revolting human being, but her yeah. mother is in on it as well. I've got, I, I've, I think that's worse, to be honest. I've got in my agenda, Mrs. Sutherland is a right cow. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, this is something I'm going to come on to actually. Um, let's do let's do it now. What is going on with the stepmother there? That's just horrible. Should we just break my daughter's heart? Yeah, because we need the money. That yeah. is just revolting. I mean, you you could kind of argue maybe she didn't want the daughter to move away and lose her daughter and um, stuff like that. Especially you know as maybe she thought because of the daughter you know. Um, the only reason a man would marry the daughter was for her money, because it's not going to be for her brains. Um, yeah. It's not, um, yeah, I mean, you, you could argue that, but it probably is just because, you know, we want the money coming into the house. I think that's um, probably it. Yeah, and because um, they, they, they do say something like, um, it was a joke at first, we never thought yeah. she would have been so carried away. Well, what, yeah. what type of joke is that, you know? Yeah. Oh, darling, do you know what you should do? Uh, instead of going off to France, go to the gas hitter's ball dressed up as yeah. some bloke, you know, try and pull your stepdaughter. That, that, that's, the, that, that's the very sense I thought as well. What are you going to do tonight? <laughs> I'm going to pull my daughter. Oh, great, because I know there's only five years between them, but yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's just it's so bleak <laughs> yeah. not just anything else I mean I'm, I'm laughing at it but I remember, even when I read this I just thought if it, if this story lacks in action in, in, in terms of moral outrage I can't think of a darker one to be honest yeah yeah it is it is very bleak um, it's a bleak thing on the human condition and it and family life and um, it's almost ahead of its time in that way because I suppose you know instead of the perfect family unit you know we have you know, two parents taking advantage of 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 their child who you know isn't very worldly at all. But it's, it's it's even the fact that I can't get over the fact that that Mary's mother was at the wedding because mm. of course she has to be because you know yeah. to, to keep the intrigue going. 
but what's going on in her head there? Just thinking, I'm just going to go to... What am I going to do today? Oh, yeah, I'm just going to go and break my daughter's heart, go to a wedding where the groom is actually my husband, and then at the end of the day, we're all quids in. Mm. So in some ways, I think she's worse than Windebank. It also yeah. makes me wonder if it was her idea. Possibly, yeah. Because I don't think a man could say to the, uh, to, to, um, uh, you know, to the mother of a daughter, I've got an idea, but it involves breaking your daughter's heart. And they're going, okay, yeah. come on, don't talk me through it. I just can't see that happening. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's 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 just too bizarre. It's, it's just such a bizarre thing. I, I do like the idea of of Hosmer, Windy Bank as it is, um, dressing up and uh, walking out with her in the street and the whole charade thing about yeah, which he is he doesn't want letters being sent to in case his colleagues chide yeah. him about having letters from a woman. Yeah, it's it's a very Holmesian trope. The person who someone knows disguising themselves. Um, uh, for, for whatever reason, it's like you know, I think it's done better in the solitary cyclist because, yeah. um, but yeah, I yeah. didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming in, so, in the solitary mm. cyclist. It and is, yeah, this, it, this it, one he gives you hints, yeah, yeah, it's a Holmesian trope that he uses a few times. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think you know, the, the idea started here, but it's not the best example of it, but it is the first example of you know the idea that he goes on to develop in later stories. And you know, if, if this was you can't help but compare it to the later ones. So if they came first, this would be a terrible story. But because this came first, it you know, it has a redeeming feature. The fact that there's a basic idea that he develops later. Yeah, yeah. You're not you're not going to open with this one. No. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a little bit of a filler. Again, Neil said to me before, um, this is a story from a man with a deadline. Yes. Uh, yes. Indeed. He, yeah. He's, he's got to deliver twelve stories, and this one. I mean, it, it, I. As I asked you at the beginning, if you know, did you enjoy it? Because we've been laughing about it for for months now, you and I. Yeah. Um, but I did. I did actually enjoy it the second time round because I enjoyed it for the right reasons. Because I was outraged rather than entertained, mm. which can mm. often yes. be the same thing. Obviously, mm. that's the whole point of it. Um, and I like the fact that Hosmer's disguise is so brutal. In it's almost as if he's saying. I have to hide absolutely everything at all, and she's going to fall for it. And then she does. And I think what is also interesting is, because it doesn't happen anywhere else, and I've never read a story this happens, is where he makes her swear on the Bible to stay true if something happens. Now, he hints that something might be wrong. Mm. So, you know, he may have to go away at something like that. So I think that might be sort of softening up the ground to what's going to happen. So he's not going to be completely heartless. Of course he's heartless, because he's just done this. But I can't think of another story where the Bible is used in that way. I I can't think of either. But I I'm not sure if that is him. You know, be, you know, kind of softening the the blow. I think it's him making sure that she thinks he's going to come back. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it, it's um, if, I think if he th- yeah, you're right. If he throws out hints and say, you know, there's something wrong, but I can't tell you what it is. But but but, but, but stay just, stay but, true to me. Like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, whereas if he just vanishes, she just thinks, oh, he's a bit of a sod. Um, yeah. Stella Runner, oh, I'll move on and, you know. But um, this way, she's like, something's happened to darling Hosma. Uh, he, he said there was something wrong and he made me promise, you know, it, it, uh, what she does, basically. I'm also interested by, by, on your view on this. What happens if she sees through it? It's, it's risky, isn't it? It is risky, yeah. I, th- I think that they're just taking into consideration the fact that um, she she is quite both blind and stupid. Um, 
you know, she's, uh, you know, she, she, she's, her eyesight is so bad that she's not going to recognize her stepfather through the disguise. And she hasn't got the most deductive mind in the world. Um, But it could also be the case that at some point she goes, you know, I swore on the Bible, but if he's not going to turn up to the wedding, why should I swear on the Bible? Mm -hmm. You know, like the time heals all wounds, etc. Yeah, I suppose by the time that happens, there'll be another thing to throw up or whatever. Or there'll hope- be another three or four hundred quid in the bank. Yeah. yeah. So. Or they're hoping that um, rather than her thinking, you know, oh, I, uh, you know, um, he broke my heart, but they're not all men are like that. She'll be met. Men are complete bastards. You know, don't bother with them. Yeah. Which again, quite rare in Victorian times. Well, probably not rare, but not sort of, not a sort of common moral thought. At the time, or at least that, that, that's what we're taught anyway about Victorian times. Mm. You know, when the, the emancipation was was still 20, 30 years away, or anything like that. And there's, there's something else I need to ask you about as well about Holmes's theory at the end, um, which is not that we're finishing, but um, Windybank is going to end up on the gallows. Is, is that a bit of a leap? Um, I, I think it is um, in. When was this written? 1891. 1891. Well, 1891. Yeah. 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 So, so assume, yeah, 1891. I think that is a bit of a leap. If it was the 18, you know, 30s, maybe. Um, but, you know, when, when they, um, you know, the criminal code and restricted what you could be hanged for, I think yeah. it is a bit of a leap. Um, yeah. Well, it, well, it, hints, it hints that that is going to develop into something worse than he is now, which is pretty yeah. low. Unless, of course, he's suggesting he's going to kill someone for money or do someone in or something. He's that um, desperate and, and that bright that he could do something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I assume that's the only thing it could be because, yeah, it does seem a bit of a stretch. Um, the other thing I think is a bit of a stretch is 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 the solution to it. It's in terms just, of? So the, the, the jumping in one door of a four-wheeler and jumping out the other. Because you, I, you I, I know... You don't become I know, invisible. <laughs> I know you really like. I know you, you. You said you really like that solution, but it is so convoluted. You've got to have so many factors. Completely yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so he turns up in a handsome, which is you know openish. The drivers behind you only seats two people. Says, "Oh, you and your mother take this. I'll get another cab." And they see him get into the four wheeler. Now a four wheeler can seat four people. Yeah. Would they? Wouldn't? Wouldn't she just said, "Oh, why don't we all go together in the four wheeler?" Yeah. And Dad. It's the fact yeah. It, it wouldn't work with with, with a Hanson. So no. you can only have a four wheeler, which is more expensive. You're not going to pick a four wheeler for one person over you know, a Hanson cab unless you've got a reason for it. So it must be. And he's the only cab in the street. It's yeah. leaving a lot to chance that it, it, it is a little bit stunning yeah. plan, you know. Unless you've completely stage managed the entire street, a la the Sherlock series with uh, St Bart's Hospital, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The the um, the the, the uh, oh, was it the weather vane approach to well, everyone moves around this way, so no one sees Scott's coming the other way. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, there's I, I, there's, I know. He Holmes does it in Scandal Bohemia, where basically everyone in the street is um, is is an is employee. But um, Windebank can't tell anyone about this. It's yeah, exactly, revolting yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. No reason, lads. But can you all just if I just jump in out? If I'm dressed like this and I just get out, there's no, there's nothing illegal. Don't worry. I'm just yeah. going to dupe this poor girl. 
And, and can, can we only have Burnley one cab in front this, of her face, please? You know, it's yeah. Yeah, that, that, I've never really thought of it that way. That, yeah. that is a, that is a bit of a leap, isn't it? To 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 do that. That's um. It's it's too convenient. It le- it leaves too much to um uh, to chance. I think. Yeah. Know? I think the reason I, I find this story interesting now is um, moral outrage aside. I think it's mostly because of it. It go, comes back to what Holmes was telling Watson earlier on, the way Conan Doyle set it up, and. About yeah, the life is more extraordinary than you think it is. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it, it, that's what that was about. It's like a little Aesop's fable, isn't it? Almost, it's yeah. like a little moral at the uh, at the end of the uh, of the story. Yeah, because I just find it quite strange to say, to say Watson, um, everything's going to not everything is quite as strange as you think it is. Oh, by the way, there's a knock at the door, and this woman's got the most bizarre story you'll ever yeah. hear in your life. Yeah, and let's go through the whole thing now. It's almost as if Holmes stage managed it to show off a bit. To yeah, it, it, it looks like a test case. Yeah. It, it could have been written in a way where he's reminiscing in front of the fire, in front of Brandy in a stormy night. Let me tell you about this time, Watson, when I did this. Because, of course, Holmes also talks about... Um, well, he says at one point, I found her, her appearance far more interesting than her story. And he mm. goes through a list of, you know, there's something similar in The Hague last year. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and he goes around some of the European spots as well. Um, which is interesting because I've never heard of anything like this before ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. 30 years later, that's never happened. Well, I don't know if that's happened. You, you wouldn't yeah. know, I suppose. But um, maybe that's what, it, it, it's more of a Conan Doyle exercise than a yeah. real short story. Well, then, a, then a, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a serviceable story. As you said, it's there. Yeah. But it's not a classic. No, no. And um, I mean, as I said, there's there's good moments to it, little moments that that I love. Um, you know, the um, the conversation at the start, the the riding crop at the end. The, the other moment I love is when Watson turns up and he's like, "Well, have you solved it?" And uh, Holmes is like, uh, "Yes, it was the bisulfate of." Uh, yeah, Bannister. that's good. I said, yeah. no, the mystery. Oh, that. You know, I solved that ages ago. Keep up, Watson, you know. Um, and the, but, the, other but, bit I, the, the other bit I just love is when um, Winderbank uh, turns up and um, he says to Holmes, if you can catch the man, catch him and let me know when you've done it. And Holmes is like, certainly, stepping over and turning the key in the door. I let you know that I've caught him. It, it is such a... <laughs> I, I love Holmes's little character moments like that. Yeah, certainly turns the key in the door. I've got you. He, he says that for, for anyone who hasn't um, gathered this yet, I really love the BBC Radio Four, Merison and um, Williams Holmes. They're my favourite Holmes by a mile. So the, there are times when I might be quoting something that, and it's actually written by the producer or writer, <laughs> that, yeah. rather than Conan Doyle. It says, but he says on what and one of those stories that he just can't resist a touch of theatre. Yes, uh, yeah. And that's certainly true because because Sherlock likes to build up to it. I'm, I'm thinking of um, uh, Giant what's... Detective is a classic like that. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that's yeah. a big one. And, and also the one with the moving statue. Uh, that it's, it's actually one of my, the Mazarin Stone, which which is one of my least favourite stories. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've just got. To, I don't have to do this, but it just looks good if I do. And yeah, yeah what Watson yeah. will be impressed. Yes, uh, I, I, I think it's what it comes down. He, he he is showing off to Watson quite quite a bit, isn't he? He yeah. likes showing to Watson. Um, well, pretending he's not. Yes, well, I'm saying it's all commonplace. And, you know, yeah. you, if, how come you haven't solved it already? I, I can yeah. 
I observe, you see, you know, all that sort of stuff. But by the way, I'm just going to make this so elaborate Mm. that uh, it just looks really, really good. I I think that is my favourite. Obviously, it's it's always the best scene where the the villains are masked and and this evil typewriter, obviously. (laughs) I just love the fact that the typewriter is practically the weapon. (laughs) Yeah. So you, you mentioned the the Radio Four adaptations. Did they do an adaptation of this story at all? They did all of them. This is actually the first one I listened to. Oh, okay. Back okay. in back in nineteen ninety. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, well, I will tell you now that um, Bert Cools, who's the producer of that series, and he also went. So basically, they did the whole 50, all fifty six short stories, mm. and they did all four novels with Merrison and Williams. And then when Michael Williams sadly died. Um, Andrew Sachs plays Watson and Bert Cools wrote the um, further adventures. Mm. So things like, you know, the, 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 the lighthouse yes. and the, yeah. and the train corporate, Bert Cools has written a radio version of that. And mm. there's also one about Hanbury street, which is obviously of interest to both ourselves. Um, and Bert Cools is agreed to come on the show. Excellent. Which Amazing. I am just absolutely yeah. ridiculously pleased about. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> We may not even discuss the Sherlock stories. I'm just going to talk about Merrison and Williams throughout the whole thing. Well, I, 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 I think it could be idea, a good idea to have um, a kind of special episode. Like, I know you're a big fan of the West Wing Weekly. Yeah. So between series, they have Please like... Please don't uh... sue me. Please don't sue me, lads. <laughs> it, it's just a coincidence that I'm doing it like this. They, 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 they have like a non, um, a non-canonical episode, as it were, kind of like a special episode, like they had um, Sorkin on for one or Tommy Shlomi yeah. or whatever. You know. um, I think you should do that, perhaps. You know, between between the the the, the, the collections, the short stories, we you know do do a one-off episode, maybe get a bunch of guests on a panel rather than just a one-to-one, and then discuss something like a certain series or one of the novels. Uh, oh, idea! So you know how Rippercast, our hosts, um, yes. call uh, c- call their occasional shows "Oh dear boss." Yep. You should call it "My dear Watson." My dear Watson. That's the first thing I was <laughs> going to say. Yeah. Well, what I might do is do at the end of the adventures before mm. we get on to the return of. Mm. I might just do a panel thing about the first twelve stories. Yeah. I might yeah. just do it that way. Um, we're also talking about whether we do the final problem and the empty house. Uh, myself and Bert, if we do that as one episode rather than mm. two, because uh, yeah. as he rightly says, sorry, we're, get, we're getting off the case of identity here. No, um, we might, because he sees that as a two-part story. It is, it is a two-part and it, story. And it is. Yeah. yeah. So, if any listener has any ideas on this or what what you'd like, um, so for example, I asked whether you'd like a plot recap at the beginning um, and people said yes, we would, so we've done that. So feel free to get in touch on Twitter, at Adler to Amberley. Um so we can do that as well. So we're always open to any ideas. You'll be glad to know also, sorry, I'm just talking admin now, listeners, because <laughs> there's not a great deal to talk about case of identity anymore. Um, we, uh, John was very good enough to uh, introduce me to a few uh, Sherlock people he knows. And one of the people who he's invited to, her, her favourite story is the three Garadebs, which I think might be my least favourite. <laughs> so we've agreed. And um, she says she doesn't like one story, which definitely is my favourite. So she's going to come on twice. So is, I'm very happy with that. Is, 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 is that uh, Nico, by any chance? Yes, yeah. Uh, she, she is quite a character, so I'm sure you, you will enjoy uh, having a discussion with her as well. Uh, yeah, if you because... not like the Bruce Partington plans, <laughs> it's fantastic. It, I, I, love, I love the Bruce Partington plans, yeah. But, but, um, yeah, the first thing he said, I love the three Garadibs. Oh, really? Oh, God. <laughs> um, no, I, I, was, I was actually asking you, so um, uh, we mentioned the Radio 4 adaptation, but have you ever seen a television adaptation of this story? 
I don't think I have. No, I did try and find one last week on YouTube, and maybe I wasn't yeah. looking for it. All the, all the ones I saw on YouTube are just audio versions. Yeah, 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 because I, I, I tried to find one as well, um, and apparently they made a silent film of it. Um, it's one of the few stories the Jeremy Brett series never did. No, that, yeah, I was thinking, yeah, I, I was trying to figure, yeah. that's the first one you look for, obviously. Yeah, it is, yeah, because they, they did pretty much all the stories, I think it's only like... Yeah. Um, was it four or five they didn't do or something? This yeah. is one of them. Um, they, uh, the um, Peter Cushing series did an episode of it, but it's lost. Okay, just as well. Possibly. Yeah, and, and, but there, uh, there is a reference to it in Sherlock, um, in uh, The Empty Hearse, when he's got Molly being Watson. Um, and uh, there's a woman there who outlines the case, and uh, he, he explains the situation to Molly, and she's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that, that that is it. It doesn't seem to be a, t- a TV. Well, I'll tell you what else it's referenced. It's referenced in the Red Headed League before this story came out. Is it? Yeah, he says because uh, Trevor mentioned this as well. You know, when he's doing like you know, um, you've helped me with some cases, and notably the King of Bohemia, blah blah blah, etc. And he says, and there's some strange things. For example, the case of Mary Sutherland. So he actually sort of does a little, um, I'm working on this story, everyone. That's pretty much what he's saying. Uh, oh, he I, oh it, could be the, it could be the strand changed the order, perhaps. Yeah, could, yeah that was just more, that's the whole thing about the cardboard box, isn't it, when it was written years before it was actually published, but it was just too dark for, yeah. uh, for certain audiences. Yeah, because it could, so, could, be could be the strand decided, you know, that, because it isn't that exciting a story, it's almost as if it's, you know, it'd be... Oh yeah, the problem presented by Miss Mary Sutherland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so not only does Watson like sorry, Watson, same person. Not, not only does Arthur Conan Doyle like it, he gives you a little teaser of it as well. I I, I don't think it is a teaser. I I, I think no. it was meant I to come the name. first. I I, mean, I I it's no Hosmer Angel, but it's still a good name. Yeah, no, I I I, I think this is probably meant to be the second story, and for. They they broadcasted out of order. Yeah. Broadcast out of order. They published out of order. <laughs> it's a thing with TV episodes, isn't it? When they broadcast them out of order, and yeah. it, something just doesn't quite fit. Yeah, I, I think it's a case of that. I think they published out of order because they probably thought it wasn't exciting enough or interesting enough. So, and they'd, they'd have lose... a point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Strand probably thought they'd lose the readership too early. Whereas on the third one, you might think, oh well, the first two were quite good, so we'll carry on. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a great deal. I mean, I'm thinking about Neil's words of that, that's a, that's a, a man with a deadline. There doesn't yeah. seem to be a great deal of faith about this story from anyone really, and it's not the worst. No, it's it's not the worst. No, story it's, at all. it's not the worst story. It's, it's it's just average, and it's not very exciting. And I think because you've got the two, you know, two, two of the best stories before it. Yeah. Um, and uh, what comes after it now? Um, I'm just about to look. Yeah, I've just completely forgot what it is. Boscombe Valley, you know. It's Boscombe, it's, yeah, plenty, yeah, plenty, Boscombe, plenty gone on there. Yeah, Boscombe Valley, you know, exciting, murder, you know. And then the five orange pips, a lot of intrigue in that one. It's, yeah, it's, it's just it's just stuck in the middle and it's just there because it's it's not as good as the others. Yeah. Well, I'll complete this podcast by saying, as I said to everyone last week, so Neil and Trevor, they got stories they really liked, and I agreed for them that they can do a uh, a bad one. 
have a think about doing a good one. And then, <laughs> the reason John's got to do this, by the way, is John's actually the producer of the show, <laughs> along with, along with uh, Jonathan Mengus. So, uh, so John's going to be on all, all of them anyway, pretty much. So, um, have a think of a story you really, really. Actually, if you want to let people know what that is off the top of your head, uh, there's, there's quite a few ones I'd love to do. Um, um, oh. I, I get to do fifty six, so I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Dying Detective could be a good one, or uh, uh, the problem with Four Bridge is another one that I uh, I love the little solution to that. Uh, but yeah, I'll have to have a think. I think um, I think they're the best two in the last collection. To be honest, those two. Mm-hmm. I really like those. But ultimately, what I'm saying is, someone's got to do the Mazarin Stone. <laughs> I'm, d- I'm just going to find out what it is. That's why I'm glad that um, Doctor Nico <laughs> jumped up and said, "Can I do the three Garadabs?" <laughs> um, again, uh, for people on Twitter, if you've listened to this, if you have any views on these stories, you want to say, "My for God's sake, what you're talking about, Copac? The three Garadabs is a work of genius." It's not. It's the work of the Red-Headed League, just rewritten. Um, <laughs> then please, please tell us. Now, we, we do actually want some feedback from this. Um, we've got some lovely feedback already saying how much they enjoy the first two shows. Uh, um, if you absolutely love a case of identity and think it's better than, I don't know, Silver Blaze, then A, you're wrong, and B, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> let us know why. Um, so it is a bit of a short podcast this week. It's just because not a great deal happens in a case yeah. of identity. But um, it's got the word Hosmer Angel in it. It's got probably the worst criminal in it, in terms of, you know, moral outrage, as I say. Because I genuinely was angry at the end of the story. I was angry about half an hour later, thinking... That's... And, and then when I thought deeper about, my God, his, his wife's worse than he is. Yeah. Um, then, um, then you know, it, it, it does have all that. It's just... I still think this is more of an exercise in writing and morality than a fully-fledged Sherlock Holmes short story. Or a man writing to a deadline. Or a man writing to a deadline. <laughs> John, thank you so much for coming on. Thank we'll you for having me, Carl. We will get you a better story soon, I promise. <laughs> thank you, everyone. I would like to thank our hosts at Rippercast, as well as producers Jonathan Mengus and John Rees. A special thank you, too, to Andrew Firth, who created both the graphics and the theme music. You can contact us on Twitter at Adler to Amberley. Thank you for listening.